0: There's just one M.
1: What do you say we interview you? Uh, all right. Yes, that's a uh, sometimes useful exercise. Please put your hand down. Go ahead. How much money
0: do you make a year before taxes? Okay, I'm actually not comfortable answering that.
2: Come on! We're doing the interview now, not you. Welcome to Talking Giants. your host, Bobby Skinner, here with my co-host, Justin Penick. And Justin, we got two interviews today. One with Nick a Big Blue Banter. Giants Country, talking draft. we got five fun prospects we're going to go through. And then after that, we got Pat Regazzo of Giants Country, uh, Sports Illustrated, all that good stuff. We're going we to talk free agency with him. So what we're doing is we're doing these interviews, one, because we're getting prepped for free agency, baby. People. We're watching film. We're crunching the numbers. But how, how are you doing, Justin, before we get to these interviews?
1: I am excited because of the fact that our football team is going to look drastically, drastically different this time next week. And especially once we get towards, you know, actually when free agency actually does start on the 18th, I'm excited, Bobby Skinner, Uh, this football team, like I said, it is going to look different. It's hopefully going to look a lot better. And I am hoping, and I'm very, very confident that regardless of who we sign and maybe the reaction behind it, I'm hoping to be happy. (laughs) And that's my hope. And that's my expectation.
2: Yeah. Well, so Friday's episode, we're going to go through our whole free agency plan. It's going to be a fun episode. Um, I've kind of put mine together already, although there could be a few tweaks here and there. Yeah. So we had a good interview. Oh, Brett Ellison retired. Huge news. We kind of knew this was going to happen. If he didn't retire, it was probably gonna be a cut. Clears $5 million in cap space. Uh, my thoughts on that, Justin, is that we can bring in Simonson, let CJ Conrad get some run. Um, and that $5 million can be used on a real backup QB, which I was having a hard time fitting into my free agency plan before this.
1: Yeah, first and foremost, we want you know the brain to be all right on Red Ellison. You know, we hope the brain's doing all right, buddy. Uh, we hope you're you're happy in retirement. I think that's first first and foremost the things that we need to be thinking about. But yeah, Bobby, five million dollars is saved. Uh, it's curious to me how one million dollars is still a uh, dead cap against us, a dead cap hit. We talked about that a few weeks ago. That still kind of confuses me. But regardless, five million dollars that's kind of is a big big difference heading towards free agency. So hope retirement treats you well red elson
2: yeah so you're at the john boy media office i'm i'm being left out left behind what's going on over there
1: what's going on at the john boy media office is that there are a lot of full-time employees here which is really really awesome there's a lot of a lot of great things going on a lot of videos being edited uh jake just moved in here full time this week and he's been on the road for like three four weeks so it's been kind of crazy to hear about his journey and where he's come i have to admit though i feel i feel out of place i feel like i don't know what i'm doing uh i feel Largely <laughs> true. I, I was showing a, I was part <laughs> no it is definitely true i was showing big baby david my my editing and how i edit and the audacity program that i run and i'm like look at this and tell me that it doesn't look like it's from the 1990s and you're like and he's like you're not wrong so i'm here i'm trying my hardest and you know we're we're doing our best and uh, Bobby I can't wait for you to get up here because then we'll we'll both be out of place we will both re- really be out of
2: place oh I'm gonna fit right in what's been the worst thing that somebody said about me
1: what's the worst thing that somebody said about you so far yeah that you are the most wonderful six seven six eight human being that they have ever met
2: mm, they've never met Nate older
1: your football analysis is <laughs> and your football analysis is subpar. Compared to how wonderful of a person you are, so they that kind of is
2: true. That's the exact. It's the exact opposite. I have great analysis and a bad personality. <laughs> oh, you know what? I, you know, Justin, remember I told I, I said it on an episode two weeks ago. I got ticked off at Instagram, so I made my Instagram private. I made it unprivate for a whole forty-eight hours, Justin. And somebody comes on to one of my uh, pictures and says something about a caption like this. This is not funny. I don't know. I'm like back back to private. Thanks a lot, Instagram. I was I was ticked off. The guy's name. I'll, I'll even call it out. Maybe he's a listener. I actually I won't call his name out. But I I, I DM'd him. I was mad. I was like you don't know me. I was like don't call my profile. Commenting on a joke between friends that you don't understand. I was pissed.
1: You knew that it was going to be inevitable that you were going to put it back on private. So why did you even put it on public to begin with?
2: I don't know. I don't know. I just I sometimes I'm like you know I, I'll let our listeners have a look at my personal life and, and there is some that i I'll, I'll accept if you're someone i know and is nice i will accept your follow request on instagram at BobbySkin underscore but if i don't know you and you've never interacted positively with me i'm not accepting it anymore um so anyways all right let's kick it to these interviews first we got nick filato and then after that it'll be pat Regazzo, a player on the giants touch my butt all right, we now welcome on to the show a guy who wears a lot of hats. You probably know him from the Big Blue Banter podcast with Dan Snyder, a good friend. If you're listening to this, Nick Fulato. Nick, what's going on, my man?
0: Nothing, man. I'm ready to talk some Giants football. It's a pleasure to uh, see your face and just, uh, you know, get to know you a little bit, my man, because, you know, you go back and forth on Twitter, but you don't really put a face to the name. Now we get. Now we got to.
2: So. Yeah, you don't, you don't get people's tone of voice. And that is my biggest problem, because sometimes I'm sarcastic, Nick. And like I put out a joke tweet the other night and I was like, the Giants have their eye on Andrew Thomas because they have their eye on every freaking prospect because it's February. And someone on Instagram is the Giants have their eye on Andrew Thomas per Bobby Skinner. I'm like, no, no, that is not what that is. So it's good, it's good to get voices in to it. <laughs> Dude, that's a hundred percent accurate. Um, Nick, your at is at Nick Filato, and we'll put that in everything, but Kind of explain what you do because, you know, you write for Big Blue View. I know you do stuff with uh, Patricia Traina. You do the Big Blue Banter podcast. I mean, you have a lot of hats. We kind of explain a few of them.
0: Yeah, yeah. So when I, uh, I got out of the United States Marines back in 2012 and I was like, man, I really wanna get involved in football. So what I did was I ended up going to college, a college that had football and ended up becoming a coach for that college for a few seasons until I graduated. While I was doing that, I attended the Scouting Academy, which is basically a school ran by a former scout, Dan Hatman, he's a great follow on Twitter, you should follow him, who teaches you just the art and the different nuances of scouting And I attended that. I graduated from that. Ended up becoming a teaching assistant there and latched on with the Inside the Pylon guys, Mark Schofield and everybody like that. I'm sure you guys who are on Twitter know who that is. And just started writing for them. And then I was able to leverage that into writing for Big Blue View with Ed Valentine and Giants Country with Patricia Trena. And that's kind of what I'm doing right now. I also do the podcast with Dan Schneier of CBS, which is Big Blue Banter. You can find that anywhere. And I just love talking Giants football. Love talking football. Love learning about the game. I'm always willing to kind of put myself out there and try to learn more knowledge because you're never just going to you're never going to know enough because there's so many good resources out there, especially even on Twitter with some of the coaches that you can follow that can teach you about this sport that we all love.
2: Yeah. And that's, you know, I like following you. You know, I learn stuff from you. And like you said, like that's one of my my favorite followers are coaches who aren't coaching anymore and are like, hey, why don't you check out this? And I'd send it to people. It's good stuff. But, Nick, you, I asked you to bring five prospects who are under the radar because it seems like around this time of year with free agency, everyone talks about the five big names, and their, their free agency plan is to spend $20 million on three different guys. And then in the draft, it is no one talks about anyone that's not in the top ten, especially if you're a Giants fan in the last few years.
0: Yeah, and, I mean, you, like you said, man, you told me five prospects, and I'm going to discuss, pontificate, illuminate. About all five of these dudes, and hopefully they can be had a little bit later in the draft, sort of in the uh, light of Ryan Connolly and Darius Slayton in 2019. But I wanted to bring prospects that were the biggest needs of the New York Giants, and I kind of laid out. There's quite a few needs for the Yeah, team.
2: there's there's definitely there's more than five needs. So uh, you got to pick, you got to pick your favorite five. Let's start at a big one right now, and it's inside linebacker. I mean, the Giants obviously cut out Ogletree. Ryan Connolly is a guy I like, but it's also, you know, you got to be a little tentative with coming off a torn ACL. A guy that you brought up is Wyoming linebacker Logan Wilson. He's 6'2", 241 pounds. He had a really good combine, Nick. I mean, tell us about this guy a little bit.
0: Yeah, man, Wilson, I just feel like he's not really getting that much love. It could be because he plays out in Wyoming, not exactly the flashiest of schools. But, like, a lot of draft pundits kind of questioned his athletic ability going into the combine. But he goes to the combine, he's 6'2", 241, like you said, Runs a 4.63, which is a solid time, and then runs a seven oh seven three three cone, which is pretty damn good for a guy of that size. And he jumped over 10 foot in the broad. That's pretty solid testing. He also possesses a very large tackle radius, something I saw on film, and then it was substantiated at the combine. 32 and 3/8 inch arms. He has strong hands that he uses to kind of keep his chest clean on the interior parts of the line of scrimmage at that second level. And on tape, man, he's super smart and decisive, makes quick decisions and blows up plays in the backfield. I want to say I watched three or four games of his, and typically he showed very good tackle form. And then I watched the San Diego State game, and he kind of lunged a lot, left his feet. And if you type him into YouTube, and that's probably going to be one of the top choices, you'll see that also. He kind of left his feet a lot. But even when he did that, he did it, he would whiff on the, on the tackle, but he would do it kind of behind the line of scrimmage to where it would either spill or box. The running back towards his teammates. So it ended up actually fitting into the continuity of the defense, anyways. But it doesn't, that's kind of irrelevant. The dude was a four year starter. He was a leader, which we know Gettleman loves. He puts a high precedent on the fact that these guys are starters and leaders at their schools. And his statistics are just really eye popping. He had 409 tackles, 34 and a half of them were four loss, seven sacks, 10 picks, 14 passes defensed, and five forced fumbles at his time. At Wyoming, that's insane, man. And I think his stock is going to rise, to be honest. And I hope he's available in the fourth for the Giants. But I think he's a player that some people might not be, might not have on their radar right now. That might be, uh, that might be selected earlier than expected.
2: Yeah, I mean, I hadn't heard of him until until you mentioned him, Nick. Now you mentioned he had ten interceptions, and obviously, with our linebacker crew, the biggest thing has been coverage lately. I mean, I don't know how many times there was, you know, cover two right over Ogletree or or Mayo. I thought he looked pretty good in man, but and but you said he has ten interceptions. I mean, what do you think his like his coverage skills are, and, and if, if they'll translate to the NFL and, and you know, gets, instead of playing against random schools in the northwest? Yeah, he's not an elite
0: athlete, and I saw one of his interceptions on tape, and what he did was it was a drop back into zone coverage. So he dropped back, hit his landmark, and then it was a—he either the running back or the wide tight end ran just right in front of him and sat, and he was the check down. And Wilson kind of baited the throw, baited, watched the quarterback and slightly moved towards him and then broke right when the quarterback was about to check down, broke on the ball, intercepted it, and ran it about 30 yards to the goal line. Didn't get in the end zone. But it was a real it just showed the ability to a bait a quarterback, be spatially aware around him, know the situation and kind of execute his assignments within that coverage, which was just an underneath
2: zone coverage
0: and then react well enough to kind of bait the quarterback and then intercept the pass and take it to where it needed to go.
2: A lot of times the Giants had a trouble. The inside linebackers had trouble getting off blocks on the outside zone run. We saw the Vikings do it, which they're probably the best in the league at it besides the 49ers. And then the Cardinals did it as well. you know. And, and I think running outside is one of the hardest things to do in the NFL. And it kind of aggravates me when people are just like, hey, run outside. And it's just it's not as easy as that. But those two teams did it well. Is he going to be able to scrape off blocks or are tackles going to be able to seal them? Or, or is that something that he can work on and get better at?
0: See, I, I see um, like his decisiveness and his ability to kind of make those snap decisions allowed for him to get to a place to where it made the tackle it, like a solid tackle, say, at the collegiate level, it made it stressed them. And he has the pop in his hands and the ability to keep his chest clean to do that. But now, if you're going up against NFL-level tackles, people with more strength, a little bit more quickness, it's probably going to be a little bit of a transition for the player. But he did show that at the college level from the tape that I did see, scraping over the top and kind of getting to where he needed to be before the block could really set himself to really get into an advantageous position to really seal him away from the play.
2: Right, and like you said, I mean his combine numbers were really impressive. Now the the last thing on him, inside linebacker is a position every year that if you start the season on practice squad, you're gonna get important playing time. Sometimes it's just a position that maybe it's just the Giants, but you end up going through that depth chart because of injuries, and you know whatever, whatever, or just people getting benched or or traded like Tay or released like Tay Davis. And I love Tay Davis. I was so mad at that one. When he gets put in there, if if the Giants draft him, he's gonna get in there at some time. Is he gonna be lost as a rookie, or is he gonna be a guy like Conley who might not make the right decision all the time, but he's gonna be aggressive and and confident in what he's doing? I mean, I would
0: hope that he wouldn't be lost. I mean, because he did show kind of a you know, I would say a good to very good level of mental processing and ability to kind of key and diagnose and react on those keys. So I would hope that he wouldn't be lost. But again, the NFL is a different animal. There are different concepts and it is just a transition. But from, he did see the ability at the college, at the college level to recognize things incredibly quickly and react well to those. So, I mean, he could go to the NFL and that could be a transition thing for him. And he could just be a special teamer till he works on that and gets that NFL coaching to kind of help develop that but he did show traits that lead me to believe that he could do that in college
2: at the NFL level right on man we'll move on to the next prospect UConn right tackle offensive tackle Matt I I think it's part it's P-E-A-R-T so I I have a hard time yeah just Pert I think Pert Perky Pert all right he's he's six foot seven three eighteen I mean he is a cookie cutter tackle when you make him on Madden he had, a, he had a good combine as well. Um, now, he played at UConn. So he lost a lot of games. But, I mean, tell, give me, like, the, the quick speech, on the elevator speech on Mac Pert.
0: Yeah, man, Matt Pert, six seven three eighteen. He has incredibly long arms. Now, I remember a couple of years ago in the draft, there was a guy named LaRaven Clark. He came into the NFL. He was drafted by the Colts, and he really struggled. He had those arms. I believe Pert is a better prospect than uh, LaRaven Clark. For me... The things I like most about him is his ability to kind of move in space. He has very nimble feet for a guy of his size, and he does move with a lot of control. And I think those nimble feet will assist him on jump sets, vertical sets, and while pulling into space on screens or tosses outside, things along those lines. And his frame also looks like he could actually add some more weight, which could also help strength. But he's still relatively raw when it comes to some of the nuances of playing tackle sort of establishing that inside hand placement. I don't really think he's necessarily like a tonger. A tonger, what I mean by that is you see some tackles in the NFL. Eric Flowers had this issue, so Giants fans will know what I'm talking about, is they tong like an ice, like ice at the hotel. You know those things that you pick up ice cubes, you put it in your drink, those iron things? That's a tong. And what the tackle does is instead of – establishing inside hand placement with good timing and getting his hands inside with good grip strength, you go around and you kind of attach to the shoulder pads, and that's not what you're looking for whatsoever. So I didn't necessarily see that with Pert, but he was a little off with his timing sometimes, and he doesn't maximize the fact that he has 99th percentile arm length. I mean, his arms are 36 and 5 eighths. That is Absolutely ridiculous. So, that's something that needs a little bit of work. I mean, but that length and his athletic ability and his ability to kind of move the way he does, that's rare, man. And I wouldn't be surprised if the team drafts him way before we kind of all expect, kind of sort of like the Texans did with Titus Howard last season. I'm not saying it's the same situation where that Pert's going to be a first round pick, but it was just kind of quicker than what we expected because there just aren't a lot of humans who have the size and the ability to move that Pert kind of possesses. And when I was down at the Senior Bowl, I was standing next to Matt Pert when he was getting interviewed and I was just looking up at him and I was like, man, this guy is uh, very well put together. Let's see how he does out on the field. He went out there and he held up well against talent that is from the SEC from the big 10. So, I mean, he definitely did himself uh, really well at the senior bowl and at the combine. I mean, it ran a uh 40 and he did 26 reps on the bench with those anaconda vines that he calls arms.
2: Yeah, he's getting along. I mean, and in his run blocking his arms are so long it it almost looks like he's like like holding on to a steering wheel when he's got a guy and almost like almost every play looks like holding a little bit just because of like how he gets inside and he's got those arms bent and you mentioned like his his ability like to to move usually tackles even in the best you see him have a hard time maybe getting to a backside backer on on an outside run I mean there was only one time I watched him the UCF game and there was only one time where he didn't get to the second level. And like you don't see tackles pull much in college. I mean, he was always was able to get to that linebacker. That was something that that stood out a lot with the guy. Now I think he he's a little raw in the pass game, but like you said, that's things that could work on. Um, I do have trauma from guys just opening their hips too early because Nate mm. Solder did it like every single snap this season. Yeah, the,
0: the hip discipline is definitely something that shows up from time to time. And he was obviously he was playing at UConn, not playing that high level. So at the NFL, I could see edge edge prospects or edge players and defensive ends you know hitting them outside once hitting them outside twice hitting them outside the third time and then on that third down you hit that outside foot uh quick jab step open his hips and then just go right
2: inside with a counter and that could be uh, problematic right and there was some stunts that were not picked up at all you know sometimes you could blame the o-line coach It's it's one of those things we just don't know unless you're in that film room now do you think for the giants though he would be kind you know because there is those top tackles do you think he would be kind of a redundant guy with Big Jordan? Now, you mentioned him you know, being like a Texans guy, so I, I thought maybe like a third-round guy. But do you think he would be an option for the Giants taking a tackle like second round or later?
0: I mean, I don't think Pert will be in the first round. I just want to clear that up. I'm just saying it might be one of those teams I value him just because of those raw traits that he possessed, the athletic ability. Uh, I mean, he could be a target in the – third round I mean it really depends on what the Giants do and that's why everything's kind of contingent on those first that first pick and the second pick and then obviously what happens in free agency because I mean where are the Giants going to go Isaiah Simmons or any of those tackles are they going to trade back there's still a lot to unfold but uh with the state of the offensive line I don't even know I don't believe Perk can kind of step in there right now and and be a starter he's more of a little bit he might need a little bit of development so he might not be a a target unless he
2: falls to a point where he could be really valuable. You know what I'm saying? Right now, before we move on to the next guy, I just want a a quick rapid answer. Andrew Thomas, Mekhi Becton, Jedrick Wills, Tristan Wirth. Who's your number one guy out of the four
0: right now? My number one guy is Wirfs with, the, <sighs> with the caveat that I need to watch a little bit more films. I only have about one or two on each. So there is that caveat, but I do like worfs. And what was the side for? I gotta ask.
2: Well, I'm just in love with Andrew Thomas, and I feel like I'm on like I feel like I'm an on an island. I just, I just think he's so freaking good. I think he does everything better. I think he's and like the combine, people are like, because he didn't run a great 40, he didn't have a great bench rest, but yeah. he had the best shuttle time, and I feel like that's the most important. It, like it, that's it, much more important than a 40 yeah, you're, time.
0: You're definitely right. And I just I think the game that I watched of Andrew Thomas, he just it seemed like because he, he obviously plays at Georgia. So Georgia likes to run the football. That's their main point. And they're built off the play action passing game. And I'm just sometimes in his past sets, and this is not all the time by any means. I just felt like sometimes he was a little bit heavy footed and his past sets weren't always super clean. But I still like him as a prospect. You're put, like, we're putting him up against Wills, Worf, and yeah. I'm a huge Wills fan too. I need to get more Becton, but I'm a huge Wills fan too. So it's, it's like pick your, it's pick what,
2: like,
0: yeah, which Thomas, you love
2: yeah, Thomas. Sometimes, <laughs> yeah, I like the first, the first Tom, Thomas wise watched against LSU. And, you know, Chasen is a, like, people say he's going to go top 15. But if you watch that game, you wouldn't think that guy's going to be drafted because, I mean, Thomas just shut him down. And, like you said, there is some things he needs to clean up. Like there's sometimes he crosses his feet in his path sets. I don't know. I, I fell in love with the guy. But I will say, when I watched Jedrick Wills, it's a lot closer than I thought it was going to be. I do like Worfs, although I just feel like he can be an elite guard. And think, maybe that's Iowa bias because we've seen Iowa guys do that before. He just seems like yeah. everything that an elite guard would be, not saying that well, he won't be a good tackle. It's just I see him being like amazing there.
0: Yeah, and I and I, and I think you're right because Werf's biggest issue is sometimes he oversets against speed. He did that in college a little bit, right? So how do you prevent somebody from oversetting on the edge? You put him inside and you put a center and you put a tackle next to him. But – I still feel like Worf's that's a very correctable thing with an athlete of his size and his movement ability kind of uh, like I was saying with Pert like those things and Worf's is just a much better prospect more refined more technical than Pert. I think the much valuable position in the NFL is the tackle position and I feel like he could do that at an all pro level with some development and you know a little bit of time and he could definitely be an excellent guard too but I think he would excel as a tackle too but i love wills and i mean this it's awesome the fact that the giants are picking this high with all these options because sometimes right. as giants fans we've had a pick and we're like well you know all the guys we kind of wanted are you know they're kind of gone so i guess we'll go with x player and then um eli apple and eric flowers happen so
2: yeah and i didn't think the tackles would be as close as i thought going into it and i, and I, I think i said it last week i'm at a point where you know, and a lot of times we don't we don't really get to know who these people, like these players are as people, you know, like, you know, what goes on in the head of a player is sometimes just as important as what they can do, you know, physically, where I think they're close enough to where if one of these guys is like, this guy's going to be a grinder and he's going to work hard every day and someone has some, a few character concerns, I feel like that is almost enough to set one of these guys apart. So, and I, I think all four are really good, so.
0: Yeah, I 100 percent agree. And again, it kind of puts a really uh, Gettleman in a really unique spot because you have Isaiah Simmons and that guy can transform your defense and be that kind of centerpiece of the defense. But you could trade back if one of those three teams directly behind you want to trade up for a quarterback or what have you, then you can kind of have if you have Willsworth, Beckton, Thomas all graded in a similar uh, ilk, then you could do that, acquire assets and then take that player. It just depends on what route he wants to go.
2: Right, and it's it's a conundrum, man, because like Simmons is my, like, I want him, I want him. Oh, but my head's like, pick tackle. These are really good tackles. You need to protect your franchise. But next on the list, Alton Robinson, Syracuse defensive end, he's 6'3", 264. I saw his kind of numbers, and I was like, okay, we'll see what he is. But I really liked this guy when I watched him. I thought he was, like, really quick off the ball. He had great pad level, great power. I mean, what makes you like uh, this kid out of Syracuse? Yeah, man. So,
0: first off, the edge class really isn't deep. And that's problematic for the Giants because the Giants obviously need edge help. But Alton Robinson is a player who has high upside. It could be around a little bit later because his background is a little bit turbulent to say the least. I mean, he has some red flags. He was a JUCO transfer to Syracuse from Northeastern Oklahoma A&M. And he has these red flags because he played at a JUCO because he was accused of stealing in high school along with some sort of physical altercation against the next girlfriend. But before all that kind of transpired, he had a ton of upside and Power 5 programs were really interested in him. But all of that led him the JUCO route. And to his credit, by all accounts, They seem to really focus on how he kind of took ownership of it and was very contrite. So that's really good. That's something you want to look for in a prospect. And that's why he ended up going to the ACC because of that contrite nature and that kind of attitude. But his best season, man – it came in his junior year, which was 2018. He put together 17 tackles for a loss and 10 sacks, but he failed to repeat those numbers in his senior season due to offensive coordinators paying a lot more attention to his side. Obviously, that usually happens when your team doesn't have a high-end talent. I mean, in 2019, he had four sacks and nine tackles for a loss, but he still showed those positive traits that I'm sure you saw on film. Quick feet, flashed explosive nick explosiveness up that arc like the first second third step but his motor wasn't always in gear that's one criticism sometimes okay. on the backside, but uh i didn't necessarily see uh, a ton of that on film but that's definitely a criticism that i've heard of alton robinson so, man, okay. person...
2: I, I was gonna ask you about that because i w- i only watched the clemson game and i get clemson can blow can you know end a game quickly um, it did seem like he slowed down a little bit. So I wanted to ask you about that because that was the only game. Yeah, it was.
0: Before, so. It was more towards the end of the game. It might have been more of a fatigue issue, but uh, that's what you're referring to. I I'm imagine.
2: Yeah, it just seemed like yeah. as the game, like, because I mean, the first quarter and a half, I mean, he, he's just the get off every time and getting into guy, like, it was awesome. But it just seemed like that same get off wasn't there, or it could have just been the tackle, you know, adjusting or whatnot. But it just it wasn't as effective as the game went along.
0: Yeah, I know. But when he is on, man, he has that first step explosiveness. I mean, he combines it with violent hands, too, and heavy hands. And uh, that's really intriguing. And that does show up on the film. I believe he's a solid run defender. And I did end up watching a lot of his 2018 tape. And a lot of the plays that he ended up making were kind of on – Undesigned or designed unblocked plays from the backside and stuff like that quarterback zone reads where he used quick decisive nature to kind of explode and use that first step quickness to kind of react and just hit the quarterback in the backfield a lot of tackles for a loss kind of came from that kind of play type, which doesn't mean he's beating people one-on-one. And I don't want to kind of use it against him because it's still a player that shows mental processing and anticipation and all those kind of things you're looking for. But um, that's probably something that uh, you want to consider. That's maybe why some of those numbers were really high and then they started paying attention to him and that just stopped happening. But man, his quickness, those decisive nature led to some of the big hits and those huge plays for Syracuse's defense in a lot of those situations. But I mean, like I said, ideally you kind of want to see him dominate high-end college-level tackles using his athletic ability combined with a pass-rush plan, ability to counter, converting speed to power, which I did see him do on a few different occasions. But that's why he's not a top-level prospect. you know. That's why he might be able to be had in the late third, fourth round, something along those lines. And he does have a lot of tools in his toolbox that
2: can be developed by a good coach and then be exploited onto the NFL. Right. Well, the next guy, and listen, I, I will always admit that I am not a good judge of cornerback play. It's another, uh, you know, we have a Notre Dame corner, and Julian Love who's played safety. Troy Pride Jr., he's 5'11", 193. What do you got on this guy?
0: Yeah, so Troy Pride, when I was down at the Senior Bowl, there was three Notre Dame defensive backs there. The two safeties, Elliott, uh, Gilman, and then Pride. And I would just see a Golden Dome fly through the practice, undercut several routes and be very sticky and man coverage. And I was like, who the hell is that? It was Troy Pride Jr. And he was a boundary corner in the NFL. I mean, in at Notre Dame. But I believe he can come in and with the current state of the Giants secondary, it's very young, obviously. But as all of us Giants fans know, the Giants were 28th in passing yards allowed. They were torched mainly from that nickel position from the slot for the offense. And Haley and Ballantyne, as much as I respect Grant Haley for his physical yet diminutive – I mean he's diminutive in size and his physical nature, he's just a liability in coverage. And then Ballantyne got just straight up picked on in that Packers game. I mean you're going up against Aaron Rodgers, but I would rather kind of see him maybe on the outside. He doesn't seem like he's more that slot type. But right. they need nickel help, and I believe Troy Pride can kind of step into that role. I think he has the hips, the athletic ability to do that. And He went to the combine, and he was able to show that. He ran a 4-4. Four, four. He jumped 35.5 on the vert, just under 10 on the brawl, which isn't great. But his 3-cone was six-nine-four, which is a very solid time for a defensive back. Under 7, that's kind of what you're looking for. So I look at Pride, and I think that he can kind of compete. If he's drafted a little bit later, I think he can compete to play that nickel slot position because the Giants, that was just a straight liability for them last season that was exploited just time and time again by basically every offense. And we saw – it. I mean Grant Haley. I mean who was the – Trey Quinn? The Redskins in the first Redskins match, Trey Quinn running deep downfield in case Nina missed twice. And I'm like, dude, yeah. Trey Quinn is burning Grant Haley. What the F is going on? And it was just a mess the entire season. I think pride with that athletic ability is ability to stay in phase, in man coverage, which he does do. I mean, he stays on the hip pocket. He's pretty reactionary. He doesn't get too handsy or anything like that. So I uh, kind of like what he can show later on in the draft again. From uh, and
2: hopefully he can come in and compete at that position if the Giants do go that route. Right now, Grant Haley gave up like an eighty percent completion percentage, and sometimes he had good coverage, but he just had no ball skills. Like I just I don't think I've ever seen him make a play on the ball, and at least not in twenty nineteen. Is Troy Pride someone that does show that at least a little bit?
0: I don't have any of his statistics up, and uh, at the Senior Bowl, I could speak for mostly. I did see him really kind of showcases ability to undercut routes and time them well to kind of knock the ball away. Uh, his his wingspan isn't really necessarily anything to write home about, but uh, I believe he has the ability to kind of turn his head, locate, I saw that a couple times, use good body control jump with good timing. I mean his explosive dri- his explosive testing wasn't necessarily outlandish. 35 and a half isn't outlandish, but it's uh it's enough for sure and I did see a recovery speed which is something else I want to look for especially in nickel corners when you are have when you give a receiver a two way go because you can overcommit open your hips one way and then they can go the other way and you need to be able to flip those hips And then explode and move after and try to get into that hip pocket of the receiver. And I believe he can do that. He has that recovery speed. I want to say down at the senior bowl, I think he was going up against Denzel Mims on the line of scrimmage. And Denzel Mims owned him at the line of scrimmage, released outside, and it was beautiful. And Mims was able to almost stack on top of him, but pride was able to still – get right there and get to a spot to where he might have been able to make a play but if it was a perfect throw he was probably burnt but just showing that recovery speed uh is something that i do want to look for especially in a young corner who's probably going to be probably get
2: beat off the line of scrimmage now you mentioned he was a boundary corner and but you know you're talking about him the nickel but just in general what is the difference in college between a boundary and a field corner and like what are the characteristics of the two
0: yeah, so a boundary corner – so for everybody, a boundary is the short side of the field. You know in college, they have the hashes. They're a lot wider than the NFL. The field is the field, the bigger side of the field. So a boundary corner, you kind of the, – the field corner, you want to be a little bit more athletic because there's more space to cover. So you want them to be quicker with acceleration. You want them to be quick quicker with uh, lateral agility and just a more explosive athlete typically just because you have more – Ground to cover. Say uh, the outside corners are in a plus split off the numbers by about five yards. So he's close to the sideline to the field. And then he runs a good outside stab and then a slant inside. You want that cornerback to that side to be able to get on that outside hip, stay on top, depending on your coverage, of course, stay on top of that receiver and use his athletic ability and his stride and all that stuff to just be sticky in man coverage. Whereas a boundary corner doesn't, I mean, you still want him to be athletic. Do not get me wrong, but he could be a little bit more physical depending on how you construct your defense. And he doesn't have necessarily as much ground to cover, but the cornerback position is all predicated on athletic ability. So and then there's the nickel position, like we were just going over. That's arguably the hardest. And you look at guys like Chris Harris Jr. who have kind of made their living in the nickel and have been Pro Bowl time and time again. That's very, very impressive because being a nickel, you have a two-way go. Usually, usually, for boundary or field, I usually say boundary corner, and that's just me speaking of players that or cornerbacks that play outside. They don't have... Uh, the two way go usually because they kind of either set themselves leverage outside or leverage inside and give the receiver whatever way and try to deem the direction of the receivers route. You know what I'm saying? So but nickels don't necessarily have that all the time. Granted, they have some linebacker help, some safety help at times, but it's definitely a more demanding position when it comes to uh, the line of scrimmage discipline and uh, fluidity in the hips and things along those lines. But yeah, basically the difference is you have more ground to cover long-winded
2: answer okay okay i like it now another notre dame corner is already on the giants and julian love and you know i expect we expected him to play nickel from or at least i expect him to play nickel in the start and then he's playing safety and then he gets some reps at free safety finally in the bears game and then pepper goes down and they put him at strong and up in the box and I, i love julian love i thought he's extremely talented what do you see the Giants doing or doing with him? And you know, Joe Judge has you know priests not putting uh, square pegs in round hold. I mean, where do you see Julian Love fitting the best? Is it ba- is it staying at safety or moving back to nickel?
0: Yeah, so uh, it's interesting because the Giants have obviously a new defensive coordinator in Patrick Graham coming in, and Jabril Peppers is going to be back healthy, and you still need to find that single high guy. And Dan and I were talking on Big Blue Banter about could love possibly transition to be a single high player because there were certain things I saw on tape and it takes a lot to be a single high player. You need to understand how to bait a quarterback. You need to understand angles, several different coverages. You need to do a lot of different things and not just be a really, really good athlete. But I feel like love showed exceptional like first and second gear on a couple plays where he was chasing guys down from the backside like explosiveness and just uh, an ability to run very very fast that I didn't necessarily thought he possessed and I can't remember which game it was and I want to cut the clip up if I can find it it was later on in the year but I was wondering if the Giants maybe were going to try him out there if they do not get a single high guy uh in this offseason because he does have some of those raw tools and maybe try him out there But I'm not 100% sure if that's going to be the direction because I think the Giants will look to add a safety, whether it's in the draft or in free agency. There's still kind of yet to be seen. But if he doesn't end up going out for that single high roll, then I think he's just going to be a three safety kind of package, especially if the Giants cannot find a nickel corner that's competent enough. I think they would try him out there, move him in the linebacker, have him blitz, have him be an alley defender, coming down as the unblocked defender, something that Jabril Peppers does at a very high level. I do believe uh, Love will be kind of used as an interchangeable piece and a sub-package player and dime and things like that. Uh, But it's all kind of contingent on if the Giants are going to try to bring in somebody to fill that single high role. Because I think it it is interesting if they give him that crack in training camp. I think he has the athletic ability. But again, like we were even uh, just talking about before the podcast, Bobby. The Giants took it forever to get Love on the field. We were all clamoring, let's get Julian Love out there. he just not ready, and he finally went out there. And he played really well, and he showed out. So maybe, I don't know if it's a learning thing or exactly what kind of took him a while to get on the field, not just Jabril Pepper's injury, but what kind of took a while to get on that field. Maybe... It's the same with him playing single high. Now, I'm not saying that's necessarily the case, but it's just something like a thought that if the Giants do not get those players to fill that position, that maybe he'll get the crack and maybe he'll even do well with the right coaching. Right. What do you think? What do you think about that, though?
2: I, I like it. I, I mean, I see him because, and, you know, uh, Patrick Graham in Miami you know he he liked to run like you said the the single high safety playing center field and i get that his defense is multiple but at the end of the day it's really a 3-4 defense with us with a single high safety i think he's got like he you know he showed his combine testing he's got the ball skills i mean he led the the a uh, college and and deflections now nickel is a huge need like you said so part of me wants him to just go there and do that and i think he has the skills to do that i mean i thought he was i thought he was going to start week 1 at nickel i really did and I'm not I'm usually not I'm usually not very quick to pull the triggers on corners right away or, or rookies right away. But yeah, I see him in that free safety role, but and we'll get to it when we talk about the next guy. I also have said that I don't think Julian Love has shown enough to where if you love a guy at free safety, whether it's in free agency or the draft, that you say, ah, we don't need to get that guy because we have Julian Love.
0: Oh, oh, of course, a hundred percent. I think love is definitely the uh, the secondary plan
2: when it comes to that. Right. So now, next, and we talked. Me and Justin talked about it uh, on on a podcast last week. I had a hard time finding a safety that I liked that would be in the Giants' range, besides Antoine Winfield Jr., who might be just my favorite player in this draft, uh, regardless. But you told me about Clemson safety. Kayvon Walker, 5'11", 206. And I watched his game against Ohio State, and I was in love with this guy because he did everything. Um, you know, they blitzed him a lot. They played him in man coverage, obviously zone. He didn't look great against the run, and you know, that big that big JK Dobbins run, he just got he got made look silly. But I really like this guy and his aggressiveness.
0: Yeah, uh Kayvon Wallace is uh he's a good prospect. I, I called want-
2: him Walker because I have bad handwriting. Dude, your handwriting—I saw that little video.
0: <laughs> Honestly, though, Bobby, I don't think it's even—I don't think it's as bad as mine. I have, the, <laughs> dude, I don't even hold a pencil correctly, which is one of the more embarrassing things about me. But like, I just—I just refuse to—to to do it. So I write like, and it's going to give me arthritis, and I'm going to be like 45 years old with my hand fucking like falling off. But that's kind of irrelevant. But yes, I do understand the uh, the plight you have about handwriting, oh, poor handwriting. But you know what? It's the uh, nature of the beast with us. But man, I really wanted to talk about Jeremy Chin in this. Uh, He's the FCS Southern Illinois dude, but he just tested himself way out of the Giants range and he might even squeeze into the first round. And then I thought maybe before I brought Wallace's name, I wanted to ring Jordan Fuller's name. Now he's somebody who has a lot of tackling flaws, but I thought
2: he could be a good single high safety. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't like Fuller when I watched him. I wasn't a big fan, honestly.
0: Nah, I just thought he had the ability to range, but his tackling flaws were a lot and, uh, he just ended up running slow, something that I did not expect him to do at the combine. So I was like, yeah, he's done. But no, nah, Kaban Wallace, man, 5'11", 206 pounds, 31-inch arms. So he's not overly long. And admittedly, I, I do need to kind of grind through his film. I mean, I watched a lot of Clemson on Saturday, so on Saturdays. So like I have like a solid foundation, but I haven't really grinded or a, sc- a scouting report on him yet. But uh, he ran a 4'53", benched 18 reps, 38-inch in the vert. And then I want to say it was an inch over 11 feet in the broad jump, 133 inches. I'm trying to do the math in my head, but, you know, math was never my subject, ladies and gentlemen. So that is incredibly impressive, but that's not even the most impressive, Bobby. The most impressive thing is he ran a 6, seven, six 3 cone, which is the best at safety. And three cones are very important. It showcases a player's overall agility and ability to maintain speed through really, really tight turns and corners, which also kind of highlights – bending the lower half, body control, and just lateral movement skills in general. Obviously, that's very imperative when it comes to playing in the NFL. And Wallace has that ability. He's a fluid mover. He's an aggressive player from everything I've seen. And I believe he has the capabilities to be a single high safety, something that the Giants are looking for. But again, there's a lot to playing single high, a lot to the back end. Man, you need that athletic ability, which he possesses, but you need to understand angles, anticipation, reading the quarterback's eyes and making split decisions. And I believe Jerome Henderson, our defensive back coach, can kind of coach him up, and that's kind of what he needs right now, kind of uh, just coaching on those little nuances of playing the position. But, man, I really would love to add this player from everything I've seen so far to the Giants because he feels a need, and he has high upside, and he, has, he can definitely contribute uh, to special teams. But, man, his combine might have bumped him up the board a bit, and I'm not sure if he'll be available depending on when the Giants want to invest in this position on a player like this and whatever else is on the board, the opportunity cost of drafting this.
2: Yeah, I kind of fell in love with this guy watching him. And, and you know, when I was doing prep for this interview, Nick, I, I clipped some clips. And Kayvon Walsh, I had to tell myself, all right, no more clips because, I mean, he showed great man skills, which you just – you don't really see that with safeties anymore. You know, he came up and played – Towards the Lions' scrimmage and was good in man coverage. I mean, he's just kind of a do-it-all guy. He played extremely aggressive with first. I'm an Antoine Winfield Jr. stand, but Kayvon Wallace might be right behind him for me. I mean, he was he was a lot of fun to watch, and, and a, a reason I got like a guy like Ryan Conley is I'm cool with guys, especially young guys making mistakes, as long as you make them at 110 miles per hour. And I thought that was like I thought that was something Kayvon Wallace did. Is there was times where he made mistakes in that game. But man, he was aggressive making them, He's and aggressive he would re, he would recover quick. So I uh, I liked him a lot. So and his ball they,
0: production too. His ball production is also another good aspect of his game. He had five career interceptions, fifteen passes defense, with ten of them coming in 2019. So that's something that you're obviously
2: looking for in a deep half safety or single high safety. Yeah, let's hope let's hope let's hope people pass up on him. Now, before I let you go, I I'd be I'd be remiss to not ask you I. Kind of known as the Daniel Jones stand. I mean, I gained my first followers from breaking down Daniel Jones stuff. His rookie season, I thought it was very positive. Obviously, there's things he needs to work on, like his fumbles, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna ask you to break that down. But what did you think of Daniel Jones' rookie season? And what would you say besides the fumbles are the thing he needs to work on the most?
0: Context is needed. I um I was down at the senior bowl. I interned for the senior bowl when Daniel was down there. And he seemed like a really like uh, I didn't really get to uh, interview or like talk with him too much because I was in charge of the northern defensive line group, but just watching him down there, and I didn't know he was going to be a giant yet. He seemed like a really bright young man. Now, did you fall in full bloom love down there? I did not. No, I was not Dave <laughs> Jefferson, but. I ended up coming back and writing a scattering report on him. So I watched, I think, six of his Duke games. And I ended up coming away, I think, higher than than some of the other people did, uh, uh, other draft dudes, people who do draft stuff. But I had a second-round grade on him. So when the Giants drafted him, admittedly, I wasn't thrilled. I thought it was a little bit – I don't want to say a reach, but yeah, kind of a reach. I thought it was a little bit like that. And then he comes in, and I thought he played – he surpassed what I expected times probably ten I thought he played very, very well, especially you know that first game down there in Tampa, getting that win, leading the offense, then he wins another one in Washington, and then he goes on that murderous row of playing the Vikings and going to New England. So, But Daniel Jones, I felt like he really exceeded my expectations. Things that he needs to work on, obviously that ball security, and uh, another thing, man, that no one's really talking about is this is his second season, and he has to learn a totally different offense. So... I think he's smart enough to have that kind of adaptability, but I would say as of right now, if I had to pick something else, it's just – I believe he's very calm in the pocket. He looks past, looks through his offensive line, doesn't get too pressured, but just maybe be – Sometimes sometimes he's too calm in
2: the pocket. I,
0: I can see that sometimes. I mean, his blind side, I mean, got beat several times throughout the season with uh, Nate Solder. And then Mike Remmers got... I want to say Mike Remmers was 10th in the league when it comes to giving up sacks. And Solder was number one. But I thought he threw with anticipation. But one thing I did see, especially in the Eagles game, which was one of his worst games, was playing in the bad weather was something that was a little bit problematic for me. But I do believe there were times where he would just miss some easy throws. And I'm not sure if that came down to footwork. Sometimes he would just oversell. So I would just say a little bit more consistency with his accuracy and his mechanics, maybe his upper body. Sometimes I saw him film. It wasn't really a lot, to be honest, but his footwork with his upper body and his eyes kind of going in the same exact direction. I feel like it's a lot cleaner than a lot of other young quarterbacks, but it's not quite there yet to a level of being very good. You know what I'm saying? Right.
2: But yeah. you're a
0: huge... So what would you say is, other than ball security, and I'll flip the question on you.
2: Okay, so... I think obviously I I don't want to say going through his progressions because every rookie QB needs to go through their progressions better unless their name's Andrew Luck. Um I do think it's pocket manipulation. Um because I just, you know, a lot like Nate Solder sucked in. We we've, we've gotten heat for saying we don't want Nate Solder playing left tackle, which is wild. Uh but I think he needs to manipulate the pocket. I mean, we see like Aaron Rodgers, Brady, like they that sets them apart as they know how to manipulate the pocket while keeping their eyes downfield where I love that he just wasn't phased by the rush, but because of that, that caused a lot of his fumbles um and you know getting smacked a few times. So just manipulating the pocket a little better. And then also knowing when to check down. Like, and and he I think he got a lot better as, as the season went along. Because the Arizona game, I think there was eight sacks in that game, and I remember breaking down every one because everyone was like, This offensive line sucks. And no and they weren't great. But a lot of those sacks were on Daniel Jones. And there was times where there was guys open underneath and he was looking downfield when he got there. So knowing, like seeing that initial coverage and instead of just looking downfield trying to make that play, being like, okay, this is not going to open up no matter how long I freaking stare at it. Let me see where Evan Ingram is, is in the flat or Saquon uh, on an arrow route or something like that. So I'd say those are the biggest things. And I mean, Nick, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong. Isn't those Aren't those the things that QB young QBs who put in the work get better at them, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, it will become a comfortability in the offense and with your weapons that surround you. And when it comes to Daniel, he never really had that sort of continuity. Yeah, the offensive line didn't suffer many injuries. Remmers missed, I think, a game or two. And then Jalapia went down at the end of the year, and I think he missed one game. So the offensive line was together the most of the season. But that offensive line was somewhat ineffective. But his weapons, Sterling Shepard out with a concussion. Golden Tate started the year suspended. Evan Ingram ends up getting injured. They never – and then Saquon Barkley injured. They never had a full continuity of offensive-skilled players to surround their rookie quarterback who was under duress because his offensive line couldn't block. And he was still able to put up the type of numbers that he did and still be competitive into the fourth quarter like he was. I just feel like – and I I love Daniel Jones. So – but again, like I said before, I had a second-round grade on him, so I thought it was a little bit of reach. But I feel like people who don't watch giant games judge Daniel Jones off of pre-draft bias. I think they all see him and they see that the Giants suck and they're picking four and they weren't really winning a lot of games. And they just go, Daniel Jones must suck. You know, They see like an interception where he might have made a mistake. Ah, oh, He's terrible, but they don't actually sit there and grind the film. And I think it's very easy for those people to do that because the pre-draft conception of Jones was you cannot select him in the top ten. So these people aren't coming off of their, their takes and they're getting that, pre, that take bias, as people in the industry will say, about Daniel Jones. And it's kind of frustrating because, I mean, I watch these games in and out. I watch the All-22. I grind the shit out of the All-22 after every single game. And you see a lot of positive things from Jones. He's not a terrible prospect by any means. Now, with that being said, development is not always linear. So with a new offensive system coming in, another year under his belt, different situation, is that progression going to continue to ascend? Or could it stagnate or even decline, which is something that we've seen, i.e. Baker Mayfield. So let's just hope that surrounding himself with these teachers <laughs> that are coaches, he can kind of be maximized and his skill set will be maximized, which I feel like those smart coach those smart coaching, this coaching staff can do for Daniel
2: Jones. Yeah, well, the difference is Baker Mayfield's an idiot. Uh, <laughs> Nick, I appreciate you giving uh, us time, give us more than we expected. Um, we'll definitely have to do this again. You know, everyone, you know, we'll tag you and everything. Follow him at Nick Filato. Nick, man. Uh, I appreciate you coming on and for our listeners, go listen to the big blue banter after talking giants. If you listen to it before, we're going to have issues, but Nick, Nick, I appreciate you coming on my man. Hey,
0: Bobby, this was a lot of fun, man. We'll definitely be uh, talking on Twitter and on podcasts and stuff, man.
2: All right. Sounds good. Thanks, man. Come on, pay attention in there. Let's go. We got a beautiful day. Work. Play fast. Play fast. Whoa. Ah. All right, we now welcome on to the program, my friend. It wears a lot of caps, Pat Ragazzo. Pat, what's going on, my man? Bobby,
3: how's it going? It's good to be back on the show. Thanks for having me.
2: I know. I think the last time was on, it was around preseason after the Bengals game or something like that, so it's good to get you back on. Pat, now we want to talk about free agency and what you think the Giants should do. Before we get started, I mean, you wear a lot of hats. So one, where can people follow you? And two, I mean, what exactly uh, do you do and, and who for?
3: Um, well, yeah, well, you can shoot me a follow on Twitter and Instagram at Ragazzo Report. That's R-A-G-A-Z-Z-O Report. And um, yeah, I so I actually I write for a few different outlets. I write for... Uh, Giants team beat writer Patricia Traina for Giants Country, which is a New York Giants site for Sports Illustrated. I also write for the Giants Wire of the USA Today Network, and then I do some baseball writing as well, as and also some freelance work for the New York Post, you know, when I can get a good scoop. But uh, yeah, Bobby, I'm excited to be here with you. I've been meaning to come on. I know you guys have been swamped lately with everything, with free agency coming up, and of course, getting ready for the draft. So let's, let's get into it. I'm, I'm glad to be here.
2: Yeah, so we just had Nick Filato on talking drafts. So I figured we'd get, get you on and talk about free agency. Now, there's a, a lot of names. The Giants have, you know, 75 million and maybe more cap space going into this if they make a move on Red Ellison or, or make some other kind of moves. And there's Leonard Williams. There's and But the Giants have been rumored to every single top free agent. I mean, who would be your number one target if you were going to go down through, like, your your free agency plan?
3: I'd say, I guess, number one target from a standpoint of, like, who are you going to spend the most money on? Obviously, the Giants have been linked to edge rushers like Yannick Ngakwe and um, Jadavion Clowney, who would command top-of-the-market money for around $22 million, surpassing Demarcus Lawrence. But honestly, I don't think that they should go that route. I think that um, really someone who they should spend the big bucks on is Byron Jones, uh, the cornerback who could also play in the slot and free safety um, from the Dallas Cowboys. And he's going to command you know top cornerback money, which would be around $16 million per year. So... Uh, I would say Jones would definitely be my top target.
2: yeah, and he's right there with me too, and I believe Justin, he's probably his, and you know we did our free agency playing with danny, who who rides for us. and let, Brian Jones seems to be a consensus, and uh, I like him a lot. I mean, I, I think you mentioned he's played uh, two positions. and I get that he doesn't have the stats, but he's he is like just shuts guys down and they don't throw at him. Um, whether it's you know going against Michael Thomas or anybody in the league, I mean, you just go through his like game logs of, of catches and targets. It's just unbelievable. Like the stats don't make sense, and a guy like this doesn't usually hit the free agency market. But Dallas has kind of put themselves in this this situation with as good a, with a with how good they've drafted.
3: Well, yeah, you hit it on the head, Byron Jones. Um, you know, even though he's more of like a slot corner and a free safety, he still covers number one receivers like Michael Thomas. Um, and also, you know, for the majority of teams, they, you know, teams can kill you in the slot. And we learned that firsthand last year when the Giants had Grant Haley and rookie Corey Ballantyne kind of thrown into the fire when, you know, they, they were definitely not suited for that position. So... If they do go out and get Jones, um, it really saves them having to go out and get a regular true outside corner and a free safety and free agency. You know, it kind of just kills two birds with one stone by bringing in Jones. If they don't get Jones, I was thinking maybe like along the lines of like bringing in like a Bradley Roby or a Brashad Breeland, you know, who could play inside and out. Um, but then also they would have, probably have to sign a free safety, whether that's Jimmy Ward who would command, you know, a lot of money. And uh, I, I also like Trey Boston. Remember he came in uh, free safety from the Panthers, a Gettleman guy. Remember, he came in and tried out for the Giants last summer. For whatever reason, they didn't take him, and he went back to the Panthers.
2: Yeah, I thought for sure once they brought him in, it's like, okay, this is a done deal. Um, even though they could have gotten him in free agency in the first place when they brought him, but then, you know, looking back at that, that was a mistake, although Bethe was misused. But, you, I mean, you mentioned Jones playing free safety. Do you actually see him being used back there? I know Joe Judge and, and Patrick Graham have preached this multiple, you know, uh, not putting uh, round pegs in square holes stuff, but do you, I because for me, I just see him being like, you put him out of corner on, on the best receiver and you let him shut a guy down all game.
3: Yeah, I think that's – he's going to be used probably in both, in both senses. He's going to be more used as put on the number one receiver most likely and defending the slot if they need him to. And, you know, if they need someone back there with range, which they desperately – so desperately have not had for quite some time – um, then I think that he's going to be used there as well. But I mean, a lot of it also has to do with, uh, is Deandre Baker going to be used more to his strength this year in press coverage? Uh, what's Sam Beal going to be like? And, and I, Bobby, I had mentioned this to you on Twitter, but, uh, in, in your replies, but I think that Corey Ballantyne showed a lot in the outside lined up on the outside, um, in preseason last year. And then they kind of moved him into slot because they had a need there and he was really overmatched, but I think that he probably will move back to the outside. And, you know that just adds to the corner depth, but uh, but but yeah. To answer your question, yes, I think that mainly Jones is going to be on the best receiver on on
2: whatever offense they're playing. Yeah, and I agree with you on Ballantyne. He he, you know, he's played outside his whole career. He looked bad out there. Although he, w- I thought he was better in the slot um, than Haley because also like Haley, once p- teams figured out like okay, they're not going to move this kid out of the slot, they're just like all right, we're going to put Allen Robinson and Devontae Adams where Haley was just getting beat by anybody. But nonetheless, I I think Bal, I think Valentine is a talent, and I think he's a talent best used on the outside, and and let him be a backup, and you know, injury injuries happen, so he'll be called on eventually. Um, So that that takes Byron Jones. He's going to be like 18 to 20 million. I mean, maybe less. You know, the 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 market gets kind of inflated going into free agency because everyone's talking about it. But after that, where do you see them going? Do you see them going like big money, or kind of filling it in with mid-level guys? Well, for
3: Jones, like right off the bat, like Xavier Howard is the highest paid corner on the Dolphins right now. He makes 15 million a year. So I guess Jones probably will start at 15 and a half or 16. I imagine he'll get 16 from the Giants probably Uh, heading from there. Like they need playmakers at every level on their defense, especially they need to focus on. Um, I we heard that they were uh, and I know we don't really want to address rumors because, you know, the Giants have the money and there's been definitely been a ton. And, you know, there's always a lot of smoke. But we have heard that the Giants will be pursuing Kyle Van Noy um you know aggressively this this uh this free agency and uh you know they seem like the perfect match the giants could use an inside linebacker playing next to ryan Connolly, who's coming off the torn acl um van noy had a really good year last year he's he's turning 29 he had six and a half sacks you know not only does he help with the pass rush but he also is uh you know solid in pass coverage uh he's a veteran championship you know seasoned and also he played for joe judge so it seems like a perfect match now
2: yeah, I actually I haven't went like full into Van Noy but I just went ahead and, and watched his his first half against the chiefs and I was impressed and you know to for all I, I spent a day watching linebackers today and Van Noy was the one where I was watching was having the most fun watching out of you know schobert Martinez Littleton um no he, he was playing a different position because he was mostly on the outside but nonetheless it, it was fun watching him so yeah i I, I like Van Noy but I will say this: What if they don't get Jones? Do you think they should go and get like Clowney or or one of these other edge guys? I um, think probably impossible at this point.
3: Yeah, and Gauque probably po- impossible. Uh, I'm not a big Clowney guy just because like his injury history is. You know, I know he hasn't really been suffered a significant in, uh, injury. You know, in since early on in his career, but. You know he only had three. He's an impact when he's on the, when he's on the field. He did only have three sacks, but he is an impact. They have to pay a lot of attention to him. Um, you know, kind of freeing up the opposite side. Um, but I just like I I wouldn't give him that huge contract. I mean, I think that they should learn their lessons from uh, you know the Olivier Vernon deal, and like it's just like it's it's too big of a risk, and they have too many holes to fill. Um, I think that they should go after a guy like Robert Quinn. Who had a really good year for the Cowboys, or with eleven sacks, or maybe they should um, sign Shaq Lawson, who sports rack has them has him. Both of them actually projected. I think Quinn is supposed to make around eleven to twelve million a year, uh, which is also the number for Van Noy and Littleton, actually. Uh, now, now that you mentioned it, and uh, and and Shaq Lawson is supposed to make, I believe, anywhere between eight and ten million. Um, of course, there's Leonard Williams who could potentially come back, but like, I mean, Leonard Williams at this point is kind of just a compliment. I know he played. You know, pretty well for the Giants, but I mean, they got to bring in a couple other impact players if they're going to bring back Leonard Williams. And Leonard Williams is also a guy who we've heard he he said he wanted, or the rumor out there was that he wanted fifteen million. He's not going to, he probably won't get that number, but maybe somewhere between ten and thirteen million is my guess at this point. Do you think that they should bring back Leonard Williams?
2: I definitely think they should bring back Leonard Williams. One, just because the trade, and I get called a homer, but the trade, I just, I have a hard time wrapping my head around. Even though I think Leonard Williams is a really good player. But, yeah, Leonard Williams isn't going to, like, fix your pass rush. He's going to help with it, and he's going to get pass rush. But he's just not – I know he's listed as defensive end, but he's not an edge kind of, an edge player. So he's not going to have that same impact on an offensive tackle. So I would bring him back. But I, I do agree with you partly on Clowney. Clowney is someone I would like to bring in. I think he's a really good player. I, the sack numbers don't tell the whole story on him. But I also think he's super risky. I mean, there's rumors of him, like, not playing hard all game. Um, the injuries have been a concern, although he hasn't missed a ton of games. He's he had, I think he's had like five surgeries. Um, uh, you know, he's been playing hurt. So while I would be cool with Clowney, I, I do think he's super, I think he is probably the biggest risk of a, a big money free agent, um, this season.
3: Yeah. And then also, uh, Marcus golden too, is a potential, uh, resign. Obviously, um, you know, there's, it's been floated out there that there's mutual interest of, uh of bringing golden back this year. He had, of course he had 10 sacks, the most for a giants linebacker uh, since LT in 1990. But uh, I actually spoke to a source too, that confirmed at least interest from golden side. So he does want to be here with the giants. And uh, you know, I, he was a good player. I think that um, if they signed Kyle Van Noy and, you know, wound up spending big money on, on Byron Jones and then, and then brought in golden, you know, that would be a solid trio at least in free agency. And then maybe bring in like a, one of the lower tier, at uh, least, a lesser expensive, maybe defensive end slash edge guys like maybe even like a Vinny Curry who might be available and they could possibly get for cheap.
2: Right, he's, he's someone I haven't even thought of. Yeah, Golden is is it's it's a tough case because I like Golden. I think he I think he like those ten sacks are real. People try and discount what they were real. He was a, he was one of the best players on the defense, even though the yep. defense wasn't good. But I you know I've been playing around with numbers and different guys and. You kind of like forget about him, like and him when you add like that. Leonard Williams is most likely coming back. You you know, and then like I, I'm with you on Byron Jones, and then right there you have you know thirty something million in cap taken up right there, and then if you're looking at other guys, and you almost forget about Golden. But yeah, I think he's someone that they might bring back. He is someone though. I also think Pat that might not get the big of a payday as some of us are thinking. I know some people think like ten to twelve. I wouldn't be surprised if Golden's numbered like was seven or something. So maybe that makes it more reasonable. I'm I'm not like I don't I don't have any like information on that. That's just kind of that's just pure speculation. But yeah, he is going to be a really interesting free agent to see what other teams think of him.
3: I think that uh seven is definitely a fair number for, you know, his given his production. Like he is very productive uh in getting after the passer. Uh at this point he's kind of, you know, based off the year he had, he's kinda of just really a pass rushing specialist, but pass rushers are very valuable. So yeah, that that would make his price tag. I, I I my guess was about eight million. Um and I think if that's you know, if the price range is around there, then I think maybe they do bring him in. Uh I think ideally or they bring him back, I should say. Uh I think ideally on the defense it would be uh, you know, if they Resigned Golden, signed Kyle Van Noy, you know, signed Byron Jones, and then drafted Isaiah Simmons at, with the fourth pick. I, I I know that you're a big Isaiah Simmons guy, and you know, so am I. And you know, he's a generational talent that I, you know, this defense needs given how poor they played the last three years.
2: Yeah, let's let's talk about um, Simmons. Well, I want to talk about the offensive free agency, but you, since you brought up Simmons, is he the pick for you at four? Um, if he's there, yes, absolutely. Unless they unless. You know, Godfather
3: reference. Uh, unless they're made an offer, they can't refuse. They have to said they're staying there at four, and they're taking him if he's if he's there. And uh, you know, the only question is if he's there. Like you know, the Redskins. I think that the Redskins honestly might draft Tua um, at this point. Um, if they don't, they're slated to get Chase Young, and you know, everyone thinks the lines are going to get Jeff Okuda. But you know, Isaiah Simmons might be the best overall defensive player in the draft. Uh, he ran a four three nine at. 230 pounds and he's a linebacker and uh that's faster than jeff okuda who ran a 4.48 at the combine who's the best corner in the draft in his lockdown so i just don't see how the giants could pass on him and they just got to hope that no one jumps on him before that because it definitely could happen
2: yeah i think a lot of people are discounting that detroit might take him but i've been on the office of tackle train I, I really like andrew thomas out of georgia but man simmons it, it just would be so hard to pass and it's such a position of need of inside linebacker and if, you, if, if they have a feeling that they're going to draft him, I, I think it really changes the way they attack free agency, too. Let Go me ask ahead. you this,
3: Bobby. Now, the Giants couldn't pass up on Saquon Barkley two years ago because he was a generational talent and someone who they pictured, you know, being the best running back in the league and wearing a gold jacket and having a long career with them. Be that as it may, Quentin Nelson was available. Do you think that Andrew Thomas is a better prospect than Quentin Nelson And do you think that the Giants would pass up on another Barkley type player, even though he plays defense? Do you Um, think Do you think they would pass up on him for Andrew Thomas?
2: I think Quentin Nelson was obviously like a a slam dunk prospect, but left tackle is is just so much more important than guard. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Um, And and I I think a big part of them passing up, like picking Saquon was that they just weren't really comfortable with any of the QBs, you know? Like, I I like Darnold. I think Darnold has a good chance to be successful. But I think, you know, with Allen, there is the, you know, he was inaccurate. And as good as the season as he had, that kind of, like, bit him a little bit was his inaccuracy this time. Sam Darnold, like, you see how much the Giants, like, prioritize a guy who's going to just be, like, no-nonsense football. And we see kind of Sam Darnold's, like, off off the field kind of stuff. Um, Rosen has the you know the the some red flags even though like people don't like to um, like acknowledge them they they're real like there's the there's question with Rosen like how much does you do you love football even though I, I like Rosen too or like him um, and then Baker with his so I I think picking Saquon had more to do with uh, the QBs than it had like oh best player available and. I just don't believe, like, any of the trade offers that they got. Like, the, the Denver trade that uh, Benjamin Albright, I just don't believe him. I don't really believe anything that comes after out after the draft, and especially stuff that comes out well after the draft.
3: You know what, Bobby, though? Like, look at the narrative. Like, the narrative was that the Giants had to get a quarterback in the 2018 class, and they were all can't miss. and. You know, the best one out of that class was taken in the last, the end of the round by the Baltimore Ravens. Like the narrative was the Giants could only get a quarterback that year. Like they were going to be in QBL for years and years and years. And honestly, Daniel Jones, if he was Daniel Jones was in that class, he looks like he's the second best one behind Lamar. So I just don't, you know, that's obviously it's an early take right now. Like we got to see what Daniel Jones does in year two, but you know, overall ability wise, and as a polished passer, Daniel Jones is, you know, he's, he'd be one of the best in that class. Yeah. would there be a you know a do over of a draft and and putting him in with the, with that class because right now the jury's out on Josh Rosen uh, Baker had a really bad sophomore year Josh Allen proves that he can take you to the playoffs and you know but he's not polished as a passer he had a fifty eight percent completion percentage and his deep ball is really inaccurate uh, Sam Donald hasn't played enough games even though he's shown flashes and Lamar was MVP so really uh, I mean the Giants got their guy last year. And you know they are headed in the right direction now, and and I do understand. Like I like, yes, Quentin Nelson was, he's a beast, but yes, he played guard. You're right. Um, left tackle is very important, especially when you now you have that franchise quarterback, and you gotta you gotta um, you gotta protect him. And I do agree with you. I like Andrew Thomas a lot. He's a you know he's a prototypical left tackle. He's dominant. I know you've done tons and tons of tape on him, and 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 I've watched your film breakdowns of him. I think that if the pick, if they don't go defense with that pick. Then yes, I would be happy with Andrew Thomas, and you know it would fill a long-term need. The thing yeah. is, though, I just don't. Again, like we've been saying, I don't see them passing up on Simmons if he's there because he's way too talented. You don't you run a four. He's too talented and too versatile that you could pretty much stick him anywhere and he
2: <laughs> excels. I know he's, he's so tempting. I, I like him, and I haven't made like a like a oh I'm picking this guy at four, but Simmons. Uh, if we pick Simmons, I'm jumping I'm jumping through the roof because he is an awesome player, and inside linebacker is a huge need. And I just don't like, and like I said, to give a little, you know, teaser into my free agency stuff. Those top three guys of Blake Martinez, Littleton, and Schobert, I'm not really in love with any of those three. I mean, I've only watched one, like full, you know, all 22 tape uh, on each of those guys, but I just none of them showed me traits So, like, man, this guy will really come in and set you an inside linebacker. So if you don't get Simmons and you're really not like that inside linebacker uh depending on what happens on free agency so yeah I I would be thrilled with Simmons I haven't made a decision of who I want yet but I like I said Sim like you said Simmons is just a freaking freak man you could do all kinds of things with him he like he excites the crap out of me
3: what what really excites me about Simmons just yes, you mentioned he can play inside linebacker and he did take a lot of snaps there at Clemson I think he'll more be used probably as an outside linebacker and he is he can get after the quarterback he's proven he's an edge rusher and as well as like he's very good in pass coverage. So think of this now, a linebacking core potentially with Ryan Connolly, Kyle Van Noy, Isaiah Simmons, and then you got Lorenzo Carter and Oshane Zeminis, who you know are more better suited for lining up on the line as as edge rushers. Uh, you know they were they were used more in the end of the year and they and they played well against the run and pass uh, lining up there. Um, but really, just having Simmons back there kind of reminds you of like how the Cowboys, you know. Their defense is really well, and they love to do the two-linebacker set with Jalen Smith and Leighton Van Der Esch or Jalen Smith and Sean Lee mostly this year who, you know, finally stayed healthy and had a great year. And those guys are just flying around, and and that's honestly what I picture with, uh, you know, with Simmons pairing with either Ryan Connolly or Kyle Van Noy or whoever's back there. Like,
2: you if, know that- – if, if you get Simmons, Van Noy, and Connolly, it's just a very – it's a very versatile defense. Like, I, I now, I do see Simmons playing more on the inside – but then you got Van Noy who lines up on the outside, and like you said, they can both play both positions, so you can use them in different ways. And then you have like the perfect backside backer in Connolly who just plays unbelievably aggressive. We'll see how he comes back from the torn ACL. But yeah, it takes a position that is might be the weakest on the team right now, and would turn it to maybe the best on the defense besides the you know the inside defensive line with with Dex Dalvin and uh, uh assumedly presumably Leonard Williams
3: yeah so the thing is also that I wanted to bring up is uh you know the Giants defense even when they had 2016 when they were one of the top you know units in the league they haven't been able to cover tight ends in quite some time so you know signing an Isaiah Simmons and signing either a Littleton or a Kyle Van Noy like that eliminates a big problem that the Giants have had and they'll you know they they won't be getting torn up by guys like Blake Jarwin every time they play the Cowboys yeah yeah
2: so we've talked a lot of defense let's talk offense I mean you got a guy in the second round that you would go offense? Is there someone in free agency? Because, I mean, at the skill positions, you're kind of saying QB, running back, wide receiver, although there's some debate about wide receiver. I, You know, they got three guys they can go out there and start and be confident with Tate, Shep, and Slayton. Um, tight end, you got Evan Ingram. And even if you trade Evan Ingram, you got a backup like Caden Smith. So that leaves offensive line. I mean, what do you see them doing if they're not going to get one of those tackles in the draft? Well, yeah,
3: while they're – before we get to offensive line, while their skill group, you know, looks like it's set, the, a lot of those guys were injured last year. Like, uh, you know, Barkley was, and Ingram is still in his walking boot. He got foot surgery. Of course, he was injured last year and has been the last couple two years. Um, you know, Sterling Shepard has concussion issues. Golden Tate uh, really was the only one who was healthy, but he was suspended. Uh, he also had a concussion last year, um, and, da- and yeah, of course, Darius Slayton had the hamstring starting the year. But, you know, that group never really was on the field at the same time. Yes, they have Caden Smith now, who I like a lot, too, as, like, a, you know, he's, like, a typical tight end, like, very good blocker in the run game and and a very good pass catcher and route runner. Um, I think that they do need to add a compliment or two at wide receiver and running back. You know, more of the lesser names, like, cheap option in free agency uh, or, like, you know, late round in the draft, like, there are some good – this is a deep class at receiver and also in free agency I do have my eyes on a, a couple guys I've been looking into uh possibly a Kendrick Bourne from the 49ers uh if they can get him cheap uh also DeMarcus Robinson has been linked to the Giants the uh you know the, he's a vertical threat for the um for for the Kansas, from the Kansas City Chiefs uh you know he's not like the fastest guy he doesn't really burn take the top off defenses but he is he is good in the deep passing game uh with Mahomes and of course obviously Daniel Jones is a pretty accurate you know deep ball thrower um, I would be, you know, those two guys would be potential options in free agency. And then at running back, I think that they need to have some insurance behind Saquon uh, after what happened this past year. And, you know, guys like former Eagles running backs, Corey, Corey Clement, and also Wendell Smallwood, a couple of the 49ers running backs also are free agents too. Jeff Wilson, uh, who called a game winning touchdown for them this year that could be potential options that we could see. And then also maybe in the draft too, but I don't, if they're going to draft some of these guys they're, they're going to wait till the later rounds and maybe try and find like a Darius slate and like a diamond in the rough.
2: Right. Like you said, there's a lot of talent at wide receiver. So I'd be cool with drafting someone. If, say if they trade back and get extra second round picks, just because you can just get an awesome player. And, you know, they talk about drafting, um, you know, the top guy on your board more than need. And I think in the later rounds when that, that's way more applicable uh, I wouldn't sign any receiver like DeMarcus Robinson unless you're cu- unless you're moving on from Tate and cutting him clean, then that's a different situation. But I just I feel like I don't it's think be hard they should put that much that much money into that one position when it's, I, it's it's nowhere near the biggest need.
3: I don't think that they should. I think Tate, uh, yeah, Tate. You know, he drops balls here and there, but like he's a really good receiver and he's a big playmaker and he makes some you know spectacular circus catches.
2: I really Correct. like tate um one guy I don't like tate too but i'm saying if, if they're gonna go out and spend mo- like real money yeah. on a receiver yeah i just i wouldn't i just feel like it'd be kind of a waste of some cap when you have you know shep who got that contract tate you know he's on about nine million a year slayton's cheap, obviously but still um now you mentioned yeah. running backs i i i think backup running backs a huge need uh danny brought up carlos hyde which could be a decent option but i do i do agree with you man they need to get a backup running back and i I get heat for this. I'm just not a Gallman supporter.
3: Um, I've always liked Gallman because he's like good with yards after contact, but I I don't know what it was. I think the coaching staff, you know, was down on him, and he was a healthy scratch a lot in the end of the year. Uh, I don't know what they're looking at now. Uh, you know, I don't know how this new coaching staff, you know, looks at him. Uh, you know, he had his chance and he played pretty well, you know, but he of course he couldn't. Then he got the concussion like almost instantly after. You know he had his first like big career game without Saquon, but uh, I that's interesting that Danny thinks Carlos Hyde. I, Carlos Hyde's not coming here to back up Saquon. He Carlos Hyde wants to be a starter. He you know he's a productive guy for uh for the Texans, and you know he's someone who he could pair with, but he's not someone who's going to sit behind a workhorse like like uh, Saquon Barkley. Not to mention Carlos Hyde's going to be a very expensive option. So. I don't think there's a shot like DeMarcus Robinson, the receiver, like obviously you said, he's probably going to be expensive. And I agree. He would be a good option, but he's just it's too much money. Then they're probably going to spend um,
2: running back. is just so tricky because the way a lot of the league looks at it now that a guy like I mean, like Hyde was he was supposed to back up Lamar Miller until Lamar Miller got hurt. It's just it's just a tricky position with a guy who hasn't had like the greatest success, but it's been pretty decent. So I think that's why he brought up Hyde, because I don't know. It's just a lot of times you see these running backs in the free agency market that aren't the top guys. And you think, oh, surely someone's gonna get him, and then it's like two or three weeks, and nobody's even touched him.
3: Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. That's uh, yeah, they'll probably if they don't if they don't bring in like a cheap you know free agent running back option, which I could see them doing, then maybe they'll draft one late or find one undrafted. I mean, Gettleman's Gettleman's pretty solid at finding undrafted free agents, so we'll see we'll see who he picks out this year. But he got Nick Gates, and you could say Grant Haley. Grant Haley's more suited if he's used right, Grant Haley's a good football player. He's just not really like a defensive bat Like he's more like a box safety. Um and a really good tackler, good good instincts and everything, and 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 good nose for the ball. But let's uh, move over to offensive line. You you did bring that up. Obviously, that's our main focus. The Giants have holes at center and left tackle and potentially right tackle. But I mean, you floated the idea of maybe the Giants bringing in a left tackle and moving Solder over the right side. We talked about Nick Gates maybe you know competing for a spot there. Uh, what do you think? At least from from my standpoint, uh, I know I had mentioned this to you off the air. But uh, I, I think that may be an interesting option if they're not going to draft a left tackle in the first round, maybe, um, you know, signing Andrew Whitworth for for a year. You know, he's still proven to be a really good player the last three years. He's 38 years old and maybe like a one year, $12 million deal could get him to, you know, come over back to come to the East Coast and, uh, you know, maybe move Solder over to the right side. At least just as like a stopgap option. What do you think about that?
2: Yeah, well. I think a lot has to do with how confident they are in Nick Gates. Um, I floated the idea that maybe they should try him at center because he was he was the backup center um, the Jets week when Halapi went down. He was taking backup center snaps, even though he was starting at right tackle that week. So it's not like completely foreign to him. I know people don't like this, but I, I wouldn't be like I wouldn't be screaming mad if Halapi was brought back. I don't think he was as bad as people made him out to be, and he was a lot better than Pulley when Pulley got his chance. Um, but I just think. Starting Nate Solder at left tackle is just really it's it's taken a huge risk. Because he was he was the worst tackle at left tackle in the league. He gave up the most pressures. I mean, we there was games where and this is kind of a question I've like said to myself would one, who would have won the game the Giants more games in 2019? Andrew Thomas or Isaiah Simmons? And I, I just lean Andrew Thomas because there was you know, fumbles, and Jones needs to like clean that up himself. You know, I, I'm not going to blame everything on the left tackle. But there was times, and there was times where it'd be a fourth down, and uh, Nate Solder gets blown up, and Jones has to start get, throw he's getting hit, and it's an incompletion. So I think he just – there was games where if you have a good left tackle, the Giants would have won, you know, I don't know, maybe like two you – yeah know, like the Jets game, I think they win that game. The Bears game, they probably win that game. I just think there's games that they win if Nate Solder isn't as bad as he was.
3: I agree with you in spirit, and they definitely do need to upgrade at left tackle. He got Jones killed on a lot of plays, and it caused a lot of turnovers because he's getting killed from his blind spot. And, you know, the ball stripped out without him even seeing it. But the Giants' defense is the reason why they lost so many games. The, the main reason for why they right. lost so many games. As a whole. Hit. But I'm saying, like, if you're yeah. just, like,
2: filling one position. I definitely agree the defense was, was, you know, much worse than the offense. But as as like just a singular player i feel like a left tackle would have been more valuable in 2019
3: yeah given their situation i don't think they really would have maybe they would have won one more game but i i think that uh i think that that yeah that for their defense was just so beyond bad that even if they had the leads in some of those games with you know with with no turnovers and better offensive line play i think that the defense would still blow it down the stretch yeah. so. i
2: can i can't deny that oh they were, they were they were pretty bad yeah. yeah, so it's 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 a huge offseason for the Giants. There's going to be lots of movement. I mean, I put out a post on Friday that the Giants spent like tw- a little over 20 million on new additions and that is going to be way different this year. Um it's going to be an interesting draft now that QB has been finally figured out. Now that it's been you know, it's been talked about forever. It's going to be a huge it's going to be a huge offseason. Pat, before I let you go, what's your at so people can follow you before we go?
3: Oh yeah, of course. Uh, Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Ragazzo Report. That's R-A-G-A-Z-Z-O Report with a T at the end. And you could also find me there at the same handle on Instagram. And also, of course, check out my work on Giants Country for Sports Illustrated, Giants Wire for USA Today, and then obviously in the baseball world for Metsmerized Online for USA Today. And then also catch me in the post on occasion whenever I have a good scoop. So Bobby, it's great, great, uh, great speaking with you, and I'm really excited for uh, you know, for free agency to start. We're we're getting closer, and then uh, you know, that'll that'll feed us and kind of get rid of these speculation and these rumors. So I'm I'm really glad we got to talk tonight.
2: Yeah, man, I'm I'm ready to know more than anything. All right, thanks, Pat. All right, thanks again from Nick Filato and Regazzo for coming on. Make sure to go give those guys a follow. We appreciate them. Like I said, we'll be back. Friday with our free agency plans, I'm really looking forward to. It. I've been spending a lot of time on this and just getting it perfect, just perfect. And what's funny, ju- what's good about Justin is that it's definitely not going to be wasted time because our whole plans are going to go up in smoke uh, as soon as free agency starts. Because of course they're not going to go by our plans because they they don't they don't listen to us.
1: There's even a chance that there's some rumors that get floated around Friday morning about you know who Giants may sign this person. Giants are definitely going to sign that person. And by Friday morning, when we record Thursday night, the episode's just going to totally go up in flames. And I cannot Sp- wait for that to happen.
2: Speaking of rumors, how about, how about Brian Stevens of SN- SNY.TV? How about that? How about that? People f- fell for a literal fake person. I guarantee you, w- w- we, should, we should honestly run a poll and we
1: should run a contest on guess whose burner account that was. And if you I think win it was incarcerated or you come Bob. Up, You think it was incarcerated, Bob? That's what people are saying. He
2: blocked me, so I wouldn't know. All right. So, we'll uh, we'll do in about six months. We're gonna start our own fake account, and we're gonna do something like that. So just be on the lookout for it. Um, maybe we'll say like, um, the Giants are looking to trade, uh, Will Hernandez. So in six months, when some random guy says the Giants are looking to trade Will Hernandez, just know that that's us with a fake account.
1: No, Sam Beal. Giants are looking to trade Sam Beal. Let's keep, with, let's keep yeah, the right. continuity of the uh, same players here.
2: That's true. That's true. Shout out Big Blue Kickoff Live, Sam Beal. All right. We appreciate you Shout guys. Shout we'll- Sam Beal, ring of honor. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we appreciate you guys. We'll see you uh, on Friday. Until then, let's go Big Blue.